and welcome back to Philosophy Cafe, Volume 3, The Dialectic. I'm Bronson Walker, your resident philosopher, and it's good to be with you all again for another episode. Um, our philosophers for today are Plato and Hegel, and our book for the day will be Georgius' great book on rhetoric. Um, I highly suggest you read it. It will give more context to what we're going to be talking about today, which is the dialectic. So today we'll be answering a question. What is the dialectic and how does it differ from analytical approaches to philosophy? Is a lack of dialectical thinking a problem today? Firstly, I want to ask you all, listeners, dear listeners, a question. What do you think the most important aspect of philosophy is and why? Once you grab a cup of tea or maybe roll down the window in the car that you're driving in and ponder that thought, then you can return once you've thought about it. I would argue that the dialectic, potentially one of the most important aspects of philosophy, as no matter how logically concrete your thoughts are, no matter how brilliant they are, they are always going to be subject to the dialectic. If you wish others to share those beliefs, you must converse, you must talk to another person about your beliefs and be able to convey them and infer your logic in a sensible manner. Firstly, what is the dialectic? According to Aristotle, the dialectic is a philosophical process of learning that takes place between two individuals, usually with contradicting thoughts or ideas. A debate, perhaps. Essentially, the dialectic is the art of reasoning and a compromise of ideas. The dialectic does not have to be completely logically sound. As communicating the idea and having unity of perspective with the opposing interlocutor is the primary goal and sum of a successful dialectic. It does not follow the lines of syllogism where the premises necessarily validate the conclusion. If A, then B. A, therefore B. Syllogy and empirical reasoning can be encapsulated within the dialectic, but as a whole cannot be purported to its logical flow. It is either a, it, the dialectic is either about swaying the opposing interlocutor to your idea or synthesizing a mean between the ideas of a perceived dialectic that is shared in agreement by both interlocutors. The logical flow can be misplaced in pursuit of a different conclusion as long as either party agrees on it. However, to Hegel, the dialectic was based on his emphatic belief in connectedness, or the interrelation of all aspects of the universe. The dialectic can be applied to any scale where ideas conflict and formulate. To Hegel, the dialect is the constant to and fro of ideas and their evolution throughout history and against every idea ever made, although the method remains the same. Hegel says that the dialectic has three stages, the synthesis, the thesis, the initial explanation of an idea, the antithesis, the rebuttal or counter-argument to that idea, and the balance, the eventual compromise between the two, a mean of thought. To further define the dialectic, let us separate them into two categories. The personal dialectic, a method of persuasive reasoning on contradictory beliefs between two or few people, Aristotle. For example, two people are discussing whether or not there should be a new train built. One argues for the synthesis, one against the train being built, the antithesis. Eventually they agree that a bus would be appropriate instead, the balance. 
This is just an example. <clears throat> As for the universal dialectic, the evolution of ideas through contradictory sources based on the persuasive dialogue and rhetoric of humanity against all ideas throughout history, Hegel. The primary difference between the two is the scale, which infers logical consequences, hence the separation of definition I have made here. One example of the universal dialectic in Europe, from the fall of the Roman Empire to the Renaissance, Catholicism was the primary theology, until people like Martin Luther, um, Nicholas Copernicus, the humanists and Enlightenment thinkers began to question the theology. This was the antithesis to the synthesis of Catholicism. It followed in the Protestant Reformation and wars. Heterodoxies of Catholicism became increasingly common until the heterodoxies became anti-religion, such as atheism and the rise of scientism. The balance is now and still is being struck, as more religions than ever are being questioned and practiced. This is an example of the universal dialectic. The great many global debates and their outcomes, a continual string of synthesis, antithesis, and balance exist within these, attributing to a whole of collateral human knowledge. To even further define the dialectic method for clarity, that is a sign of a state of failure and success. Although one could argue that this is not necessary, or that it misses the point to do so, as one who externally views a failed dialectic can balance it them, find the balance themselves. This pertains to the personal dialectic. And a failure between the interlocutors' ability to agree. Specifically, a failed dialectic will leave its interlocutors or parties maintaining their beliefs on either the synthesis or the antithesis. A successful dialectic will end in the balance, wherein the interlocutors now have either been persuaded or they share a perspective, a unity, on the ideas discussed during the dialectic. Perhaps the mean has been discovered. For example, in Georgius, the dialectic succeeded between Socrates and Georgius to know the truth behind good rhetoric, but fails between Socrates and Callicles. Callicles and Socrates do not attain the balance between their dialectic when we're still in between the synthesis and antithesis of the idea in relation to each other. In more common terms, they disagree. <clears throat> Socrates running up into one of the Athenian temples, all smelly and ragged, probably not well clean, and Callicles, um, quite famously, really didn't like Socrates. Uh, he thought that Socrates just wanted to win arguments. Um, now, I, the, I want I want to I want to express something. The reason why I've assigned and defined a state of failure and success in the dialectic. This is a very particular in framing feature I want us to focus on. What I'm saying is that there is no such thing as, I suppose, a failure of thought, in case you can't think at all. All, all, all thoughts are thoughts. But when I say a successful dialectic, I mean purely that the two people come out of it with a shared perspective. Two people agree on something. This is, in this term, is, is what I want to define as a successful dialectic for the purposes of this essay. It's important to note that Hegel's, uh, to Hegel, the universal dialectic was constantly reaching balance, which is somewhat historically reasonable, although the personal di dialectic often will not reach the balance and does not have as much time to do so. The dialectic is about attaining the truth between people, ideas. It is not the science of philosophical logic. It is the art of reasoning and truth-seeking. 
The dialectic does not require analytical logic, as the art of reasoning between another and opposing view. No matter how concrete your logical methods are, you still have to communicate them and gain unity of perspective with someone holding an opposing view. Think about it. Think about it. You may know something. You may know something deep in your heart. You may have studied it your entire life. If you want others to share that belief, you must study the dialectic. You must think about dialectic thinking. You must think of persuasive reasoning. You must be able to hold your idea up to the plate. And even as hard as it may be for you, find ways to compromise it so that the other person can sense it. How does the dialectic differ from analytical approaches to philosophy? Now, quickly, I'll just say um, analytical approach to philosophy is usually <clears throat> what we call empirical or deductive reasoning. You know, um, quite the scientific method is an example of analytical philosophy, whereas the dialectical approach is more of a discussion between two people. Now, you can have the empirical method within um, a dialectic, and it, but it still has an inframing structure that it is about the sum of the two people's perspective in the end, their unity of thought. Um, in the Modern Introduction to Logic by Stebbing, 1950-40, page 14, 477, talks of how in Aristotle's Tropica, he saw the dialectic as the generally accepted art of finding the truth, but he thought it inferior the empirical method. But why? The empirical and analytical approaches use deductive reasoning to confirm absolute validity through rigorous syllogy and experimentation. The dialectic, however, does not need to reach a valid conclusion or even have valid premises to be a successful dialectic. As long as the two interlocutors have agreed upon a theory and perspective, then by the aforementioned definition, the dialectic has succeeded. For example, me and you got together one day, had a few beers at the pub, maybe we were having a coffee somewhere, and you told me that you think that all humans over the age of 23 were ducks. Now, if I quite genuinely agreed with that, regardless of the, the logic involved, um, if I did, if I did agree with it, then the dialectic between the two of us would have succeeded. Um, I want to put a personal disclaimer here. I do not think that all people over the age of 25 are ducks. Although, you might be able to convince me. <laughs> the primary delineation in, is that the, analytic, that the analytic is a thought, language, logic, and knowledge. The dialectic is concerned with the synthesis, society, speculation, and application through individuals. Jones K, 2009. This is imperative to remember, as although the empirical methods give us mathematical certainty, they still have to go. They still have to go from the conscious and acceptance of one human to another, which is where the dialectic comes to play. Wittgenstein points out that philosophical problems are, of course, not just empirical problems, but they are solved through an insight into the workings of our language, the dialectic. Wittgenstein, 1953, published. Now, I, I want to think about this point. Really, 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 let's think about this. How often 
have you been swayed by another person in a dialectic that you've had in a discussion how often have you been swayed without any mathematical or deductive reasoning being put forth i mean for instance someone for example you know someone asks you let's 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 go walk to the bus um and the other person gives you the precise amount of time it will take and exactly all of the parameters mathematically involved in getting to the bus and uses that logic to sway you to do it in a certain way now that kind of that kind of um, analytical reasoning comes into play in certain instances but it's not thoroughly common in in uh the general discussion of the dialectic which is something we should think about in georgius the book um socrates and georgius speak of an example of a logically invalid dialectic in this case rhetoric being a successful dialectic and rhetoric but rationally peculiar this is very this 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 example really pertains to today there's one person example um that this example is going to speak to and i want you to try and figure out who it is this is the quiz for today um figure out which rhetorician i'm talking about in this example <clears throat> socrates and georgius agree that a good rhetoric needs only be an attractive adornment that it is an advantage to make an appealing case as opposed to an accurate one someone who can best persuade the audience is going to have an advantage in rhetoric than an actual expert on the topic we can postulate that rhetoric is encapsulated within the dialectic because the rhetorician may be arguing against an antithesis of some form to prove their synthesis perhaps that of the expert plato published 2008 now think it th 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 who 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 is this uh, rhetorician the one the one with the the sweets the floral language the one that puts an attractive argument up as opposed to uh, expertly analyze one I can think of a few of those people today, but one in particular, and I want you to figure out who it is and then post in the comments below who you think I'm talking about. Some, someone who uses rhetoric in this way. Therefore, if flattery and persuasive language is more effective in persuading than the truth, then it follows that the dialectic is not only its own art and school of reasoning, but without it, the deductive empirical expert would not be able to achieve the balance of the dialectic without having a grasp of the art form itself. So to all of you young budding, budding scientists out there, thank you for your great work in the field that you're doing. But remember, you must apply your empirical logic to the dialectic at some point. So prepare for it. Prepare, prepare perhaps it might not align totally with your idea of the truth, but if you want people to believe it, you may have to consider how you put it forth in a rhetoric. Oh, for those of you uh, who don't know, rhetoric, of course, is the art of someone speaking on a stage, like an influencer or a, um, someone someone speaking to an audience. It's the art of, of, of speaking to an audience and trying to sway them. That's where we get the word rhetorical question from, because usually when a rhetorician is on the stage, they don't uh, always um, foresee a response from the audience. Question for you, the audience. Another one. If your cup of tea is finished and you want to ponder this thought, maybe write it down. Who knows? Maybe get another cup of tea. One may know the truth 
but without the ability to express it in a successful dialectic with others. What value is that thought? Now, this is a tricky question because when I say value, when I apply value to thought, I suppose there's a bit of a contextual snag there. Let's say the definition of value is what use is it to humanity? Mm. Think about it. Now, finally, <clears throat> is a lack of dialectical thinking a problem today? A lack of understanding of critical thought, reference to history, the dialectic and open-minded philosophy of crippling opportunities for greater social unity. As research states in the social contract, quote, everything that destroys social unity is worthless, and all institutions that set man at odds with himself are worthless, end quote. I suppose I was supposed to do that in French. <laughs> Any form, and that's an amazing quote when you think about it, when you truly think about it. Any form of social unity is the product of a successful dialectic. What better maker of social unity than that through which we can find the ideological compromise of any extreme thought? Now, uh, Rousseau in the Social Contract, brilliant book. I really, really highly recommend you read it. A lot of, um, a lot of our, it really puts democracy today into context. Um, I really highly recommend reading it. And he says a lot about the general will and that it's almost the most important and immutable thing and that if it is warped by the government, then uh, our, our nation is at risk of many things. Now, this really applies to the situation today in lockdown, um, which I hope you are managing very well, as best as you can. My hopes and wishes go out to you. Now, in the current age of information and mass media, the polarization of ideas is accelerating. Stigma, political games, attractive rhetoric and pride rule the modern dialectic, unconsciously polluting the pursuit of validity and avoiding the balance of ideas as many primitively clutch their synthesis as if it is part of their being. The cure is open-minded critical thought. I, I uh, To go back um, to what I'm saying about how polluted the current societal political dialectic is i think social media plays a massive part in this and i wrote an essay about about echo chambers in social media and how we reaffirm our own information currents which is biased it, it puts us down an, an even a narrower narrower place so if you if you love the age and the guardian read the economist if you love al jazeera and the economist read the age <laughs> or any paper other papers are available available i'm just saying it's great to um broaden the sources of media that we consume so that we can approach dialectics and better find the meme within them the cure to this stigmatism and these echo chambers is open-minded critical thought and a thorough understanding of the dialectic and the ability to entertain the realms of thought we oppose the most it is easy to subjectively believe one knows the truth it is much harder to entertain the ideas of someone believes to be wrong. But this is the art in which we must endeavor to understand if we are ever to overcome the primal state of our being and the decaying state of integrity of ideas in civilization. I talk more about this in an earlier episode of Philosophy Cafe, uh, labeled Stigma and Belief. It is important more 
Now than ever, as the dialectic itself is constantly expanding, that we not only study the method closely, but as philosophers endeavor to use it properly. That is to consider as many contradictory ideas and premises on a topic before coming to a conclusion. Hegel describes subjectivity as, quote, a being for self, which is for itself only through another, end quote. In other words, I can never define myself purely in relation to myself. It is through my interaction with the external world that I become aware of my self-consciousness. A subject only exists through its relationship with others. Now, this is, this is leaning towards correlationism, um, which I feel two ways about philosophically. Look into it. That's another task for today. What is correlationism? Put it in the comments below. And who was the rhetorician I was mentioning before? Ah, I'll give you a hint. It's not in Australia. <laughs> it's in another country. Therefore, each theory we postulate is only worthy in relation to the opposing realms of thought. One could argue that the empirical and analytical methods of philosophy slice with Occam's razor until the truth is discovered. Perhaps in scientific and mathematical aspects, this is the case. But when it comes to the subject of ideology and the mind, it must be compared to the opposing realms of thought and processed through the dialectic. Then and only then do we find the virtue of an idea itself. In the Nicomachean Ethics, Aristotle states that virtue is the balance between two vices. Therefore, the dialectic is the pursuit of the virtue of ideas. Unity. If the extremes of the dialectic are the opposing interlocutors' thoughts, then the virtue between them is the compromise and evolution of that thought, its balance. Furthermore, to become virtuous philosophers, then it is conclusive that we must study the art of evoking the balance from a dialectic and do so by not shutting down a dialectic or sticking to our thesis, but to entertain the extreme. As to attain the balance of the dialectic, the mean of thought itself. Sure, you've had heated debates that dissolve into primal fights. Heidegger would say, well, I would say, using Heidegger's words, step back, look at the inframing topic, what begun the discussion, and see as people nitpick at straw men arguments, how it is dissolved. And the true ideas that were once being discussed have left the station and do now are in this war of premises. Where it isn't even about the topic itself. Think about it. You've seen this before. We've all been involved in an argument like this. Next time you're in one, I give you a challenge. Next time you see an argument, you realize that the topic isn't even being spoke anymore. People are just arguing. Step back. Become a mediator. Try and refrain from clutching at the premises. Digress. Pull it back to its inframing topic and bring people back to what, what truly was being discussed. And maybe even point out that they're not even listening to each other. Hmm. It's our duty in a democracy. <sighs> that was volume three of Philosophy Cafe, The Dialectic. I really do hope you've enjoyed it. Please love to hear your comments and thoughts on these philosophies in the comments down below. Um, quick regicide update. Lots of cool stuff is coming along. 
Um, we have a vlog coming out very, 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 very soon. And I, you might have noticed my microphone's been upgraded and it will be even better. I've got a new mic on the way, which I'm very excited to use. Um, we have a game coming out soon, a secret game, a secret title. I'll give you a clue, it has to do with space. Um, and it's coming out very soon. Uh, the pipeline is getting closer and closer to deployment. <clears throat> and then we have another mobile title after that and some more news about Regicide, the dawn of the necromancer will come soon. Um, so our philosophers today are, are Hegel, um, Rousseau, Plato, Aristotle. Um, there's a few books mentioned, but the three ones I would really, really, really recommend, The Nicomachean Ethics by Aristotle, Georgius by Plato, great look into rhetoric. It really puts politicians into perspective today. And, um, and Hegel and, and his philosophies on the world. Um, thank you very much, and we'll see you next month. And as always, thank you for thinking. Thank you.